Because I remember just curling up into a bowl and crying just non-stop and, and, and being so scared. And, and my dad, he just grabbed me, put me outside in the sun. And luckily I kind of got out of the panic attack, but it was just the most, the scariest feeling. Because at that point in that little bit of time, it was probably only lasted 10 minutes. I just wanted to end everything. That's Ed Fowler. Five years ago, he sustained a brain injury in a car accident that threatened to take everything from him. It's not the only trauma Ed's lived through. When he was finishing high school, he was there when someone he knew got struck by lightning. Ed ramped up the partying and drinking without realizing he was doing it to cope with what he'd seen. And that's partly what led to him being barely conscious in the back of a ute on the night of the accident. Thankfully, that wasn't the end of the story and Ed's pushed on through immense adversity to find a career he loves and create the life he wants to live one small step at a time. Welcome to Young Blood, the award-winning volunteer podcast dedicated to young men's mental health. My name's Callum McPherson, I'm a journalist, and this is a platform for everyday men to share lived experience stories and show that no matter what you're going through, you're not alone. Suicide is the number one killer of young people and changing that starts with speaking up. So let's do it. This episode has been made possible by Pro Realty Property Consultants. Pro Realty is a proud sponsor of the Young Blood Men's Mental Health Podcast and a big believer in the importance of mental health awareness and suicide prevention. These legends swooped in with funding support at a time when we really needed it and it's thanks to them we've been able to keep the show going. If you're looking for a commercial real estate agency you can trust to deliver quality, Pro Realty has a team of experienced professionals with the knowledge and expertise to provide you with a wide range of specialist services. Get in touch with their friendly team today to discuss how they can best assist you and mention Youngblood in your inquiry for a discount. Trigger warning, if you find anything spoken about in today's episode distressing, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. Ed, you know someone who was struck by lightning. What's your memory of that? To be completely honest, my memory of it is someone's blue face with vomit in their mouth and one of my, one of my best friends doing CPR and scooping out the vomit and that's kind of <laughs> where my memory sits a little bit whenever I think of that event. And you're laughing there but that's because it's such a horrific image. I'm yeah, just... yeah, I'm probably, it's an awkward thing to think about I probably, and to be honest I still probably haven't dealt with it as much as I would like to, it's still there a bit because I do struggle talking about it as you can see from my mm. fidgeting <laughs> um, and laughing. But yeah, that's probably, you know, it was a very serious event that happened to me when I was 18 and year 12 and it was something that I kind of pushed down and still have pushed down a fair bit in so my life. where were you and how did it happen? Uh, so outside my, um, my family home on an oval kicking the footy with uh, three of my close friends and then um, a, another group of boys from a, another school came in and started doing a kind of impromptu holiday training. And that's when me and my mates decided to head off, head back to my house because I backed onto an oval. And yeah, as we were walking, we heard a big crack of lightning, saw some commotion and heard some yelling, I think. And then um, I remember just my mate bolted down, saw some, some commotion and he did first aid. I don't know if he was in a scouts, but he was like a scout leader type of thing. Bolted down the hill and we all ran after him. And then that's when we saw, um, yeah, the guy, I just remember him just blue-faced and the boys that were kicking the footy were all pretty phased by it all, pretty in shock, I guess. Yeah, so no one really knew at that stage what to do or how to act. And I guess because we were kind of further away from it, my mate was able to quickly just 
jump into action. And, and I remember him, yeah, just going straight into CPR, telling me to ring an ambulance. I rang an ambulance. I ran down to the, to the main street to try and hail the ambulance down because we're on an oval. I remember hailing it down. And then, um, yeah, the ambulance came in. And it's all, to be quite frank, it's literally, it feels like it was a 30-second event, but I'm sure it went on for a lot longer than that. I remember, mate, breaking his ribs. I remember the paramedics coming and the paramedics saying to um, my friend that he had you know, potentially saved his life. And it was, yeah, it was pretty, it was, once again, it was really traumatic. And it's, whenever anyone brings it up or whenever I hear lightning, I always just think of a blue face and, and vomit and kind of just my heart racing and yeah, pretty scary. <laughs> How did you process that at the time? Whenever people ask me about it, I, in my memory, it happened in year 10. Like it happened ages ago. So I've pushed it away. Like if people ever ask me, you know, oh, you were there, what happened? In my head, it was like, oh yeah, that happened ages ago. That happened like, you know, 2008, ages. So I pushed it right down. I don't even remember doing anything. I don't think I saw, I must have seen a psychologist, but I don't remember doing that. I, I think I just kind of got on with life. Like I was in year 12, man. I had to do you study think, for exams. Do you think that that pretty much didn't affect you that much at the time? Oh, I think it, I, th I remember probably like a week. I remember going, it was my mum's birthday on the 14th of July and it was her 50th. And I remember, um, yeah, I must have, it would have been 17, 18. And I remember just being a bit of a mess and I remember drinking lots and I remember um, going around just asking anyone if they'd, they'd seen death, if they'd seen death. And so I, I probably, it probably lasted like one or two weeks that I was pretty intense to be around. But then from my memory of it, I just pushed it all the way down and had, you know, exams to focus on and year 12 to focus on and all of a sudden it kind of just disappeared. So on reflection, how do you feel like that sort of uh, impacted your behaviour? I think there was a reason why, you know, I, I drank a lot, partied a lot, and, and I never really put the two together. I kind of thought it was just a normal thing, and I kind of laughed it all off. And it wasn't until um, probably 2015-ish, I remember some of my mates kind of sat me down and um, almost said, you know, settle down, you're going a bit bit nuts. Um, I didn't think there was anything wrong with me. I thought I was just, you know, being a 20-year-old. 20 and just me being me, that, that was kind of enough for me to go, all right, shit, I need to look at myself. And that's when I went, I did exchange for uni because I thought I need to get away from certain people that I was hanging around with and kind of refocus and get away with, get away from all that kind of... Um, the environment. Environment, yeah. So I, I pretty much ran away. And to be honest, that's kind of what I do a little bit when it comes to tough situations. And that's what I did with the lightning with my mate was that I push it all away or I run away or I forget about it. And I guess that's what I did when I went to run away to Denmark. Yeah, um, but it doesn't go away. Nah, no way. Never goes away. <laughs> yeah. So what happened when you went to Denmark? Did you start partying? Uh, nah, I partied more, <laughs> probably. But I helped that there was, you know, no one from Adelaide around there. So I didn't have to talk about it or didn't feel like I had to talk about it. Did you make that link back then that that was in any way related to having been through this trauma? No, nah, not at all. Like legitimately just, I kept on thinking it was all um, just a normal 20 year old getting you know, partying hard, having fun. And like in reflection, I look back and go, there was a reason why I wanted to go to Denmark. And, you know, I wanted to get away from that environment, but it was, you know, the best eight months of my life because there wasn't the constant reminder. Like I didn't see 
my friend who gave the bloke CPR and I didn't see the people that were at that at the lightning event like I didn't see all those things so I guess every time I saw those people once again the blue face the vomit the mm-hmm. guy dying in front of me would bring me bring it up so he clearly did traumatize you even <laughs> though it wasn't a close friend of yours yeah having reminders of it everywhere yeah yeah a hundred percent but I didn't I honestly and it seems really stupid but I didn't put the two together like I I, I, it's all in reflection that I look back and go, oh, you know, there was definitely something there. What else did you have going on in your life? It was all going fairly well? Otherwise? Yeah, man, I was um, working for a um, sports shop. I was studying. I was, yeah, I was kicking, kicking goals, you know, socializing, playing footy, playing all right, you know, amateur footy. And yeah, it was just, you know, average type of stuff going on. So you came back from Denmark? Yeah, I came back. What was it like when you came back? Same... <laughs> problem and i was probably good for like six months to a, maybe yeah six months to a year where i kind of just um was pretty good and then i kind of fell back into the old old ways a little bit it was funny every time i was got drunk or you know was out i would end up talking about it and i think that's kind of an indication that mm. obviously i wasn't over it but then you know so me wouldn't even think about it <laughs> yeah so it was there under the surface yeah yeah for sure didn't know how to process it mm. and a case of feeling like maybe you didn't have the right to be traumatized by it because you weren't close with the person. Yeah, I think that's probably hit the nail on the head, really. Like, I didn't, I felt like, you know, his mates were there. I wasn't that close with them or wasn't my sibling or anything like that. Why, why did I feel this way? And I guess, you know, there was only three of my close friends that were there. And we all kind of, pretty much after school, we all went our separate ways and didn't stay in contact because I guess... You know, all of us were reminded by what happened. Mm. Yeah, I think for sure. Like, So it's obviously had like a really significant impact. But did you guys ever really talk about it after it happened? Oh, the craziest thing is like, we would, so I was really close with the guy that gave him CPR. We talked about it a bit, but once again, it was only really when we were drunk. We used to go surfing a fair bit together and we would have like some deep and meaningful conversations, but it was very um, short-lived because we just, it was uncomfortable. Yeah, I guess, um, and we didn't want to. Probably didn't want to admit it. Were you a guy who talked about your emotions with anything, really? Not at that stage, no, no, not at all. Just bottle it up or bottle it pretend up, like it wasn't. Push there. it down. Yeah, laugh about it. Yeah, didn't really. Yeah, do it unless I was drunk. If I was drunk, yeah, for sure. Like you'd hear me chewing your ear off, but yeah. um, I could do that about anything. But yeah, never really talked about emotions. So you think that's partly why you were keen to get drunk sometimes? Because part of you wanted to express that and and hear some feedback and and vent yeah but for sure i would have i would have been the most annoying person because i was looking for a psychologist probably but Mm. (laughs) just chewing someone's ear off but i only felt confident enough or open enough when i was drunk to talk about it even now like once again you can see me fidgeting and then you didn't Um, realize it was a thing when you were sober that you were holding on to yeah yeah Yeah. so you didn't have the thought of i should go and see someone to talk about this no you're like that's something that happened ages ago and it doesn't you know it was horrible to witness but doesn't factor into my life now. Yeah, and even when I was thinking that, like, you know, I would have been 20, it happened when I was 18, when I was 20, and thinking like that, in my head, it happened when I was in year eight. Like, so it happened when I was, you know, 14, but it didn't. It happened two years, two years, but, yeah. So, so when did it happen? How old were you when it happened? I was 18. Okay. But, like, for some reason, I just pushed it, the event from my mind that it happened you know, like thinking that it was further away, so yeah. therefore it was less significant. Exactly. 
Yeah. Okay, so that's just how you that's compartmentalized how it. it to try to deal with it. Yeah. Given that you were still seeking out those moments of connection through drinking, where did that lead you? How did you end up in the back of a ute on yeah. that night? I ended up doing my master's and ended up actually working for an alcohol company. And I think like most, you know, fresh out of university people, when your first job, you kind of want to work really, really hard. So I was waking up at, you know, and it sounds like I'm complaining, but I was, I don't know, 23. I was waking up at 5.30, traveling quite a distance to work, working really hard, staying until the manager left. So I was doing 6.30 nights. All of a sudden I stopped playing footy. I stopped you know, doing the things I loved, but would still party hard really on the, on the weekend. I just, I think it was when my sister was leaving to London, just got too drunk one night and ended up, and I get it all mixed up. So it, cause I don't really have a very good memory of, of that night, but I ended up in the back of a ute and the person driving ended up being involved in an accident and I came out of the ute and yeah, pretty hurt myself pretty, pretty bad. Yeah. How bad? So I fractured my neck, fractured my skull. I had two or three hemorrhages and a subarachnoid hemorrhage. So that's the other, the opposite side of the hit hitting your brain. So it's like the rebound of it. And I got diagnosed with an acquired brain injury. Ended up about a week to a week and a half. Once again, my memory is really phasy of that time in hospital at the Royal Adelaide. And it was a very long road to recovery. Yeah. What was the prognosis? First of all, the most obvious one was when I was wearing a neck brace. That was eight weeks in a neck brace, which was great. And I say great because then people could actually see that I was, you know, injured. That almost helped in a way because you'd see that I was suffering from something. But when I left the RAH, um, and no disrespect to the RAH, they were, they were fantastic and they look after emergency um, patients when they need to. But I, when I left, they kind of said, cool, you've got a brain injury, you'll be sweet type of thing. So I didn't really have a good understanding of what that meant, what a brain injury, like what an acquired brain injury meant. And it wasn't until I went to the Hampstead Rehab Center that they really sat me down and said, this is going to be a long road to recovery. Like, you know, you're going to be fatigued, you're going to have brain fuzziness, you're going to have light and sound sensitivity. And they pretty much, you know, wrote, the, wrote down that and they actually did say, which I don't, I think the research has changed now, but they did say if you get to two years and you haven't improved, that's probably you for the rest of your life. And I remember hearing that. And once again, this is a, probably a week after I left the RAH and I was thinking I was back to normal, fine. That, you know, I heard that. And I remember my mum and I got in the car and we both just started crying because it was like, shit. So the, to that point, you just really didn't understand the significance of it? No, yeah. Like, I knew it was bad, but I didn't know it was anywhere near that You just bad. thought it was, like, pain? Yeah. You know, it was concussion. People get footy concussions all the time. Yeah. People get brain injury. Like, I didn't, guess I didn't really realize the severeness of it. But, yeah, people get concussions, post-concussion syndrome. You know, it's footy type of thing. You know, it's not that so big of a deal. that's how you thought of it? Yeah. And that's how, the, that's how I think in the medical world in emergency situations if you're walking if you're you know alive you're good to go type of thing and that's how it felt until i got to the rehab center where that's you know they described it all and it was yeah really full on so how did it change from then on with how you were 
responding to what you had to do and, and having that dawn on you? Yeah, man. It, I took their whole advice. They said not to drink for a year. They said exercise. They said as soon as you feel fatigue, rest, return to work slowly. The whole significance of it was, you know, abide these rules. And I guess the fear was if you don't abide these rules, you could potentially not recover. Um, and this was, you know, at the point where I was actually, you know, I couldn't hold a conversation for very long because I got so tired and I, I had to go to sleep. But I was pushing past it because, you know, when I left the RIH, it, they didn't tell me that was the case. So I was pushing past it. When I spoke to the rehab center, they said, nah, if you feel fatigue, if you feel that coming on, you need to go and rest. You have to. So it changed my whole outlook. So I, I took recovering as it was my main priority. So yeah, all of a sudden, wasn't drinking. Not that I was drinking beforehand because I was still on a neck brace, <laughs> but um, wasn't decided not to drink. You know, was work luckily gave me a lot of time off. Yeah, I really just focused on on that whole whole aspect. And then obviously, pretty charismatic, confident man always have been. I imagine you were fairly popular and someone who was talking a lot right yeah. so what was it like for you those first few times where you're trying to have conversations and you were just dropping out and realizing that oh shit like this is maybe this is how i'm gonna be yeah man it was cooked it was it was fucking scary yeah i remember talking to a manager at the time no sorry it was my it was my friend at the time and we were talking about chinese food and for the life of me i just couldn't remember chopsticks right the, the word and so I kept calling them tweezers and they were looking at me like, what, what, the, what the fuck are you talking about? And I just, I, there was so many times and situations that I just, I would get my words mixed up. I couldn't, I was, I was a bit mumbly. Um, You'd have a glitch. I'd have a glitch. Yeah. And I, I and, and it would be, it was really daunting and scary thinking that Shh, this could be me. Like I could barely hold a conversation. Like I was getting my words all mixed up. I was getting tired. I was, you know, the, the, the sound and the brightness of lights would just throw me in a spin i couldn't be in like a restaurant i fainted a few times and the first times i went to like coles and stuff or shopping centers fainted because it was just so overwhelming and just you know the first six months of that recovery and experiencing those things and having the scary thought that that was me for the rest of my life i looked at it and go and went i'm never going to be able to work again like yeah. how would i must have been so freaky thinking i'm not going to be able to function in the world and that's a long time. In the scheme of things, six months isn't a long time, but it's a long time to feel like that yeah. and not be able to go to the shops without passing out. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, to think that that's my future. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's the, that was the scary thing. Like, and how did you handle that thought at the time? Did you stuff it, push it down? <laughs> yeah. Well, honestly, the first six months was probably the, well, easiest almost because, yeah, I was wearing a neck brace for a lot of, well, for the first two months of that. People knew about it, so I still looked pretty pale and pretty sick. I still had cuts on my head and stuff. So that wasn't, it was bad, but yeah, I, 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 I slept a lot. I wasn't really doing anything, so all of a sudden, it was probably harder as it went on. That was probably the, like, probably the most extreme recovery period, so I was really re focused on re recovering throughout that, sleeping, mm. not doing anything for the first six months. That it was, was prob better in a way because that's what you were supposed to be yeah. doing. But as it got more into... Okay, you meant to be putting your life back together and you still had those same issues. And then people were, you, you looked like, that more was, like yourself. Yeah. So then it was people who don't know you thinking, oh, this guy's just slow or there's, there's something wrong with him. 
and then you thinking, oh, am I just that guy now? Mm. That was the hard bit. So when I started actually you know, going out to the world and seeing my friends and that type of stuff was a lot. And I guess like it was probably around that six month mark that you know, I did start doing that. And that's probably when I started wanting to do more, I guess. And, and when I say wanting to do more, I was coming off studying my master's, socializing, playing footy and starting my, my first job, my first real job. Yeah. Um, to all Killing of a sudden, it. yeah, all of a sudden doing nothing, like literally nothing literally just recovering and that's probably when I you know was getting pretty depressed because all I could do was you know my parents were working my sisters were in you know not living at home Mm. I was just by myself and that's probably when I you know really started just non-stop thinking Mm. non-stop thinking and that's you know when I started thinking a lot about um, my mate that died and and you know all you can do when you're sitting in a dark room and thinking is think about your mistakes and you know, past girlfriends, past fuck ups. You know, all this stuff. Overanalyzing. Overanalyzing everything. Like got no nothing. I got else nothing to do. else to do. Had nothing. Literally nothing. And I wasn't dealing with it in a very healthy way because I was literally just eating and watching TV. And you yeah. weren't even meant. And like with a brain injury, you're not really meant to be watching TV because lights and noise and stuff affects you. So you're really meant to be sitting in a dark room and you know relaxing. It's and pretty hard psychologically. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. It was. It was crazy. And it was something that, you know. Did you talk to anyone? Did you say? I talked to my mum. Me and my mum got really, really close. Um, mm. I did have a psychologist that I did start seeing um, through mum's recommendation. And that's when I started talking about a lot of what I was experiencing. And that helped a lot. Like, you know, pulling on the strings of, uh, of, the, the, of some of the past things. But, it, yeah, it was, it was probably around that time that I kind of, needed something to do and that's when like I um yeah I started running when I could um well I started walking first actually and then started running because it was the only thing I could really do so what did you get out of doing that were you able to just go hell for leather or did you have to ease oh, man into it? had to ease into it yeah the first thing was oh I remember just it started off walking so I was walking my dog around a quiet park because I walked on a main road once and there was just the cars were so loud I, once again, almost fainted. So just hypersensitive to everything. Hypersensitive to everything. Yeah. They always say, like, with your brain, you know, you can't switch anything off. Even when you're sleeping, you're hearing things. Your brain's, you know, making you breathe. It's always working. All the automatic stuff. Yeah. It's And that was just when there was noise and lights, it would just overload me so much because it was a, you know, damaged brain. And you're thinking, well, there's nowhere I'm going to be able to go where this isn't happening. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it was slow walks and... That started for ages, like, well, that, that went on for ages of slow walks and just getting out in nature. And, you know, that, to be honest, it helped with my um, depression a fair bit, my mood swings, because all of a sudden I was able to do something, you know. Every day I'd go for a 15-minute walk, and it doesn't sound like much, but for me it was heaps. And how did you go with the stimulus when you were out there? Did that gradually, you were able to acclimatise more to it? Yeah, it gradually got better. But once again, I, if I did feel fatigued, I would... I would come back pretty quick and, and have a rest. Um, but yeah, it's slowly, you know, over the period of time, it got better. And that's probably when I started considering running. Um, I was always a fit guy, played footy, you know, went to the gym. So that's when I really decided that, oh, how about I start you know, slowly jogging? I read some research on post-concussion syndrome that like NFL players and stuff, mm. quite often if they get hit in the head, they'll aerobic exercise really benefits that. 
And I know for like Owen Wilson, I think it was Owen Wilson, Owen Wright, um, the surfer got hit in the head, same thing. So I read, read a few things about that. So aerobic exercise is one of the only treatments for brain injury, gets to get more oxygen to your brain. So I just started running, started jogging slowly. And I thought that was benefiting me. I could feel it, you know, doing me some good. I don't know if it was just the endorphins and, you know, helping my mental health and stuff, or if it was actually... Being outside as well. Yeah, yeah, all that stuff, yeah. And that's kind of when, like, around that time, I, 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 was, I wanted to set myself a goal. I was always quite ambitious. And I got in contact with the doctor at the rehab center and said, is there any um, possibility I could raise some money for the, the rehab center? And she's like, no, it's public. But she put me in contact with Brain Injury SA. And that's when I just sent an email to uh, Liz, the CEO there, and asked, hey, can I, can I try and raise some money by doing a marathon? Had no idea which marathon I was going to do or anything like that. But I, um, yeah, I asked and she said, let's have a meeting. Met with her and she said, yeah, that'd be great. She, of course, asked if I was, and this was, one, this was probably eight months, six months after the, the, the injury. So she was a bit apprehensive at first. And I said, no, 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 I can do it. And so, yeah, I guess. She was like, maybe you shouldn't do a marathon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, no, 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 I, I, I'm ambitious. I, I, got, I got goals. I can do it. And I love goals because that was, having that was another reason to get out of bed. So I, I said, yeah, I, can, I reckon I can do the Sydney Marathon in September in 2019, remembering that the injury happened in uh, May 2018, right. I think it was. Yeah. <laughs> and I was so like, yeah, no, nah, I can do it. Quite the comeback. <laughs> yeah. And so it was, but, you know, it actually was fantastic because it gave me and my best friend something to do. He, um, he would all of a sudden, every, every week would come and visit me. We'd go for a run together, just mm. a slow jog. Yeah. He was never a runner. He was just a, you know, normal fit guy, went to the gym and stuff, but was like, nah, we can run together. So I had that um, connection yeah. all of a sudden through running. Cool. And it was awesome. And then ended up doing the run in 2019, ended up raising, you know, I think it was $13,000 for Brain GSA. Mm. Awesome. And it was literally my, I reckon it was a lifesaver because it just gave me something to wake up every morning and do something. Uh, and I'm putting it lightly, but I was working as well. Like I, I was slowly returning to work. My work was fantastic. They, they hired the, you know, one of the best OTs in South Australia for brain injuries. And I had to return to work over a year with 20 minutes a week to 40 minutes a week to one hour a week to two hours a week, not days, spreading that out throughout a week wow. <laughs> for a whole year until I could get to comfortably doing three days a week. And it's so great that you were working for an employer that was <laughs> willing to do that. Man, it was amazing. Like yeah. when, I, when I first met with Brain GSA and I told them, you know, first time I told them um, the OT and they were, they were shocked, they were amazed that work paid for this. And they're also amazed that I was within my probation period. So I was three months in and they were amazed mm. that I kept my job. They yeah. heard, they've heard of so many stories of people having serious injuries and it being put in the too hard basket and the person getting let go. We all know physical health and mental health go hand in hand and that's why Youngblood has partnered with Athletic Greens to bring you the benefits that can help with both. You might have heard of AG1, the one-stop shop nutritional drink packed full of everything you need to support your mind and body. Just one daily scoop of AG1 covers all your nutritional bases and supports long-term gut health with 75 vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, adaptogens, a greens blend and whole food ingredients. Think of it like a cheat code to give you more energy, increase mental clarity, better sleep, and improve digestion, all while boosting your immune system. 
You wouldn't think mixing all those vitamins together would taste great, but AG1 is actually delicious and really simple to make part of your morning routine. I'm not sure if you guys know this, but producing the podcast is purely volunteer and I actually have to pay for studio time and editing. Every dollar we make from this partnership will go towards helping to cover production costs. So it's an awesome way to support your health, help the podcast and contribute to young men's mental health all in one. If you're looking for a simpler and cost-effective supplement routine, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash youngblood. That's athleticgreens.com slash youngblood. Check it out. So my goal when I was doing 20 minutes a week was to, you know, get to an hour. As there was quite a lot of times when my manager and my work and even my OT would say, don't push yourself, you know, you're recovering. But that was my goal, like it was, which was good. You, you need to have goals to keep on moving forward. And, and, you know, the fact that I said to myself in a year's time, I would like to, you know, do three days a week. If, if I didn't have that, I would have just, you know. Yeah. You if know. it was, or you have to do nothing and there's no view to when you might be able to do something. And then you're really in that limbo phase of, you know, how do I not just get totally depressed and. Yeah. You know, because I got super depressed. Like mm. when I wasn't doing anything, man, I was, I remember like, I remember this horrible time when it was my first proper panic attack. I can't remember what the time frame of after the injury, but I think I was, I was working. I was doing probably 30 minutes a week. Um, so very small. It was before I started running. And I remember just having, looking in the mirror and just absolutely hating myself. Like, at this point, I, yeah, I wasn't doing the exercise, so I was a little bit overweight because I'd literally just been sleeping all the time. And I just hated everything about me because I was just sitting there looking at myself going, you're never going to return to work. You're never going to, you've got nothing. You've got nothing. You're living at home. You know, you were on a trajectory before mm. and now you've got nothing. Yeah, that fall from grace and then the reality yeah. of what you thought was going to happen. And I remember, I remember, luckily my parents are there because I remember just curling up into a bowl and crying just nonstop and, and, and being so scared and and it 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 was a really strange feeling and my dad came into the bathroom because he was knocking because he didn't know what was going on he just grabbed me put me outside in the sun and luckily i kind of got out of the panic attack but it was just the most the scariest feeling because at that point in that little bit of time it was probably only lasted 10 minutes i just wanted to end everything because it was scary because I just didn't hated myself well I had no control had no control I had no nothing going on like the you know really at that point I was doing 20 minutes 30 minutes a week of work like that was all I was doing and that's kind of when I decided to go running and 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 you know realizing that it was important for me to get outside and have these little tiny goals and other something else that wasn't just work related because it's great having work but you know you need to have they, that balance they add up though yeah over the years yeah, you know, pretty crazy that you're at this point now, where you can work full time and I assume run a fair bit. Yeah, man. Yeah. I, I literally, I've uh, I've been running with a group of mates since my brain injury, since 2018. We run every Thursday, so we run all the time. We've just on Sunday we've got a 28k run that we're doing. We run. I love running. Yeah, and I'm f pretty fit. Pretty hard with the hangover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I've. I didn't drink for two years, but... Um, wow. Because uh, that was a big part of your identity as well. Yeah, well, I guess your whole identity was yeah. gone for a while there. I was a bit of a party boy and all that. but So, yeah, that was all gone. Like, yeah, like I said, like I was really 
studying, working, socializing, playing footy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, with the footy culture, it's just pretty much drinking. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that was, yeah, two years of not drinking. And now I do have a completely different relationship with alcohol. You know, I do look at it as much more of a convivial experience rather than just getting fucked up and talking about your friend that almost, well, my friend that died. Yeah. Life experiences will do that to you, right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It's changed a lot, like my whole view on life. I, and one big thing is that I wouldn't change any of it for the world. Like I'm kind of glad uh, I had my accident because, you know, it did change my um, outlook on life a bit. You know, I do realize now that to, ha- to, to be enjoying life, you need to have that healthy work-life balance. Mm-hmm. For me, I always need to have a goal. I always need to be doing something. And I need to be outdoors. I need to be doing exercise. That's a huge part of my mental health is that, you know, I still, of course, have down times and I still every now and then get a bit depressed. But I find that if I can go for a run or get outside, it's like a form of meditation. It's it's really grounding. And, you know, I, I think if the injury didn't happen, my life would just be work, 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 party, party, party. And I'd be super unhealthy and probably pushing down and not dealing with a lot of things. And it's got to end badly at some point. 100%. Well, kind of did. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, in some other way, it didn't happen as it happened. How has clawing your way back, like, step by step, how has that shaped your character? Oh, I think I'm pretty resilient. Like, I think having to, yeah, exactly that, claw back to, you know, like when you're faced with challenges now, how do you view that? Oh, I don't get overwhelmed, that's for sure. Like it's literally, it, it, everything's put in perspective. You know, work, with work challenges, for example, yeah, it's important at the time for that small period, but, you know, it's not life and death. It's not, you know, of course it's important, but the different perspective, it's... I don't imagine you'd be thinking that you can't do something that you want to do a lot of the time. Yeah, very resilient. I just don't think that there's much to worry about in life that much. Like mm. that, there's nothing in work or, or your personal life that's important. If you just take that's overly important, you need to kind of look at it from a bird's eye view and kind of assess the options and stuff. Yeah, but that's because you've actually had your life threatened and yeah. who you were completely yeah. shattered. 100%. Yeah. But I think you're, just, you're a great example of that's not the end. And if you're fortunate enough to have an opportunity to be able to rebuild that and do the right things and not give up hope, then quicker than you would have believed, you end up in a place like you are now where you're Ed again, like mm. you were before, but wiser. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, quite often people who have suffered injuries or brain injuries in particular you know, feel the despair and feel like there's not a lot going on. And I guess there's not, a, it's not a very sexy, acquired brain injury is not a very sexy disease or illness or disability because there's not much, you know, education or uh, research into it. So it is, it can, you know, at before 2018, there wasn't many people that you could look to and go, oh, that person actually returned to work from mm-hmm. a brain injury or that person had a really bad concussion and, you know, did that. You watch the movie Concussion. Everyone, all NFL players usually commit suicide or die by suicide. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, the the lead actress from Game of Thrones had a brain aneurysm, which is similar to a subarachnoid hemorrhage. Owen Owen Will, Wright, the surfer, hit his head. Um, there's a lot more education around you know football players in Australia 
that have had brain injuries. Um, and there is more research coming into light that there is a close link to depression and there are things that you can do. And the fact that I think neuroplasticity of your brain, so your brain's continually working and growing and, and, and fixing itself. The fact that, you know, at Hampstead, when they said, if you're not better after two years, you're, you're not going to get better. That's wrong. You're actually, your brain's continually growing, but the research showed that. So of course, people who hit the head and have brain injuries do feel despair because that's what they're told. They're told if you're not better in two years, you're fucked. <laughs> mm. Mm. But that's not true. There is, it's always getting better. Your brain's always improving and learning as long as you do the right things, of course, like not drinking and being healthy. And you're an example of an everyday person who did little bit by little bit and would manage to come back from that. And there must be so many people out there who have a similar story or are currently going through that where you're not going to hear about it in the news or anywhere and there might be a lot of despair over I remember who I used to be mm. and now all of a sudden I'm this version of myself and maybe I hate who that is and terrified about the fact that maybe I'll have to live this way but you felt like that you couldn't have felt worse and you couldn't have been more scared for where you thought you were going but that actually didn't turn out to be the reality and you were just able to focus on well what can I do today for this 20 minutes and then just you just have to take that win yeah and stack them up exactly. even though when you're like okay great i can work for 20 minutes before i feel like i'm going to collapse before i could play footy and go out partying and do a whole day's work and like what am i now but that's something and then you can build on that yeah i think you said it perfectly like it's the small wins stack up and you can look back and go yeah i worked 20 minutes and went for a 15 minute walk but before that i wasn't doing anything so yeah that's a perfect way to look at it mm. so are you the man you always wanted to be now i reckon i'm getting there uh, you know uh, there's still you know i think everyone messes up every now and then and i'm we all do that but i i think i'm getting close to it like i love my job i have a very good work-life balance i'm dealing with my issues I've, i still see a psychologist probably yeah once every fortnight and we talk about some of the stuff i still don't think i've dealt with all my issues i think i'm dealing with them but I'm getting there. I think it's always a battle. You're always looking, you know, you're always stacking things up and seeing, all right, well, I'm better than I did was last week or I'm better than a month before. Yeah, but you're not running from it now and you've got some tools on how to face up to things and process them in a healthy way rather than just pretend that's not a thing until it crops up somewhere else. Exactly. And I'm very self-aware that I do, I do tend to push things down. So now that I know that and now that, you know, I can identify when I'm doing it, that's when I can go, all right, well, maybe it's time to talk to someone. If it's a mate, if it's a psychologist, if it's my mum, I'm at least aware that, all right, I'm pushing something down, I'm ignoring something, I better talk to someone. Yeah, I think that's just about the most important part from your story because for you, an inability to do that when you were younger is partly what manifested oh, horrible bad luck. Mm. Like you can't do anything about that, but that contributed to you ending up in that situation and now that you've changed that attitude and you're more mature and brave enough to be able to face those things, you're going to have better tools to be able to deal with it in the future and it's less likely that you're going to end up in some terrible situation like that. And also you can help other people around you. How have your friends like been through this entire time? Pretty good. I've, I, I'll be honest, I lost a fair few. Or, well, I lost a, the party friends, I guess. Like, obviously, if you're not partying... 
you're not that much fun in that kind of community environment. Yeah. But I've made way closer connections with people that, you know, would, you know, came to hospital when I was in there, people who would run with me every week. And so those connections of my mates that I've got yeah. are so close. They're real friends. Yeah. Real friends. And that's tighter than it had ever been. Yeah, because so, it's based on something yeah. real. And it brought my whole family, like, we were already super close, but yeah. th- it brought them so much closer. Like, I was at that point, you know, living with mum and dad, and we became just best friends. Like, I would tell them everything. You know, mm-hmm. my dad fixing me, well, helping me out of my panic attack was, like, just the... If he le- if I was left a little bit longer, I don't know what I would have done. And him helping me was just awesome. So we're yeah. really close. Well, it sounds like because you were able to actually let people in, and then that's what you got to do if you're gonna end up yeah closer. Well, now I'm just I'm pretty open with my whole family. Like yeah, I very sometimes I even don't don't even know what I'm pushing away or what I'm <laughs> what I'm upset about or what I'm depressed about, and I just let someone let my mum know, I let my dad know, yeah. I let my sisters know. And so different to what you would have done. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And then we'll just start talking about it and then we'll have a chat and we'll just be, you know, yeah. talking it through. And then all of a sudden I would, I would work out, Oh, it's, it's this, or yeah. it's that little thing at work. Yeah. That's made me a little that's bit depressed. Seems, seems simple, but if you're not speaking what's in your mind, you never get the chance to be able to hear what does and doesn't make sense. Yeah, exactly. And then once you talk it out loud, you're like, ah, oh, it's that thing. Yeah. And if you have someone else there who understands and they're like, yeah, well, I see where you're coming from, but you know, don't forget about this part of that. And then you're like, oh, it's not, it's not that bad. Or I do have a way that I can deal with it. Yeah, it was like my friend dying. Like, I guess I didn't even, because I wasn't speaking about it unless I was drunk. I didn't really know it was an issue until I dealt with it, type of thing. So yeah. Well, thanks for speaking about it today. I know it's not easy yeah. for you, but it's yeah important for people to hear your story, man. So appreciate you sharing it. No, thanks, dude. Thanks for having me on. That's it for this episode. If you like what we're all about, support us by following Young Blood Men's Mental Health on Instagram and Young Blood Mental Health on TikTok. And if you're already following, we'd love to get you more involved. Keep an eye out for our regular community question time posts on Instagram and drop a comment with your answers to join the conversation. Every podcast episode is recorded in professional quality video and they're all up on our Young Blood Men's Mental Health YouTube channel. So please show some love and subscribe. You can find everything there is to know about the podcast at youngbloodmensmentalhealth.com. And most importantly, please share these stories with anyone in your life who needs to know they're not alone. We're all in this together. Catch you next time.